0: If
1: this is empty, this doesn't matter. I'm glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm uncool. Me too.
0: You're doing great.
1: Yeah. The only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Is not my advice to you? And I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. So All right, Go Bros. We have a a great Go brother in the studio today, and I'm excited about this. We're going to learn a lot of different things. So, uh, uh, Sam Monreal, welcome to Grab Life a Big the Go Abundance Podcast.
0: Hey, glad to be here. Uh, Excited to share some of the recent happenings in my world with the other Go Bros.
1: Hey, buddy, why don't you kind of tell just first? You know, let's get a five minute five minute thing on. Who Sam Monreal is? What, what about you? Like, where were you born? Give me your childhood, all that crap, and all the way up to today.
0: Okay. So, I was uh, originally born in Little Town in West Texas. Our claim to fame is it's the largest city in the U.S. without an interstate. So, you know, that's a, that's a little town. And, <laughs> you know, I, my dad was a uh, postal worker. My mom was a nurse, raised a family of six, so I am the fourth out of six kids, uh, two older brothers, an older sister and two younger brothers, you know, grew up relatively, I would even say middle class, we were, we were poor, you know, postal worker and a nurse, uh, that money doesn't go far when you're feeding six kids. And so, you know, really, honestly, was driven by my desire to get out of my hometown And figured out pretty early on that the two ways that I was going to potentially get out of my hometown were to join the military or get a scholarship somewhere because my parents weren't going to be able to pay for school. So I really studied hard so I could get a scholarship, got a full ride to the business school at UT, and went for a couple of years before I realized that I absolutely hated school. Uh, School is not the reason that I did school in the first place. My motivation was to get out of my hometown and uh, became a stockbroker at Charles Schwab at 21 in the Platinum Services Group. Uh, Good timing because that was right before uh, a year before September 11th happened and the entire stock market crashed. Uh, Then went and started my own mortgage brokerage and uh, grew a successful mortgage brokerage. Then the crash of 2007, 2008 happened. That fell apart. And, you know, then went and got into the technology space and uh, have largely been in the technology, uh, some combination of technology or tech and real estate for about the past decade, you know, had really existed in this employee mentality for a long time, Uh, really just trying to trade my time for the most amount of money that I possibly could. And sales was always my... Uh, method to do that you know sales is one of the places where you can make the most money and grew as a salesperson quite a bit and then started really getting into the personal development space learning a lot more about what it is to be an entrepreneur and so really didn't take the first step towards being an entrepreneur until i was about 32 which is really late right you know how, how old are you now sam 39 39
1: so seven years ago
0: yeah. And, you know, honestly, most people, if they haven't taken some step towards starting their own business by the time they're much younger than that, you know, I already had a family, I already had, you know.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, you're so, at that age, right? At 32, that's right where you got the mortgage, you got two cars, you got, you know, bills, right? And, and and yeah, I mean, that's shocking that you did that. I mean, like,
0: what were you doing
1: at 32,
0: well, so before that, Pat, I'd, I'd actually been a entrepreneur, right? Because I I'd, I'd had this mortgage brokerage, right? But it was really not a real business, right? It wasn't, you know, we didn't operate to a P&L, you know, we weren't taking, watching our numbers, you know, had a bunch of mercenary loan officers that were doing whatever loan they could, right? We were, you know, checking the bank account balance at the end of the month. And if there was money there, it was a great month, Right. It wasn't a real business and you know, what what happened is is that business, you know, when it totally blew up, you know, and I I about lost everything. You know, that's really when I started like looking around at, at like what 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 am I what am I doing with my time?
1: Yeah. Did you have loans that actually came due that you were personally responsible for? Like you you did the mortgage, the mortgage defaulted. <laughs> It was within whatever the criteria is. I think it was like first year if it defaults or whatever that you got to eat it. Whatever every 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 brokerage was different. But uh, did you did you did that happen? Did they come back to you at all?
0: Yeah, I mean, Pat, I, I I won't lie to you. We like any mortgage brokerage out there was doing whatever loans the bank would approve, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah they would approve all these crazy, no documentation, you know, 90%, you know, ninja loans where, you know, the person shows up with a credit score and gets, you know, $300,000. So uh, it, it took me a year because I, I refused to declare bankruptcy, even though my attorney said I should have took me a year to pay back all the debts from that business when it failed. And man, I really learned a lot from that experience because you know, here I was, this poor Mexican kid that thought I'd, you know. So you it, had to
1: pay back like debt for office space and all that shit, but you didn't have to pay back anybody's. You didn't have to pay back a bad mortgage.
0: I other than my own, I had to pay your back own, your own, but you didn't have to pay bad. Back. Like something, be,
1: you didn't have to pay back someone else's mortgage. No. Okay. No, I got you.
0: But still, you know, when you are running any business, and you know your your monthly income goes from. 100K down to 40K down to nothing. You know, those expenses don't magically. Oh, yeah, yeah. So
1: you started. So actually, that was a blessing in disguise then, right? Because it forced you to start over.
0: Yeah, it really did force me to start over, and I and I failed a bunch more times after that. I literally like because it's funny because right now you know I've been on this rocket ship as one of the you know ten senior leaders. Uh, at Op city where we have grown from an idea to a 210 million dollar exit in two and a half years and people are like, "Ah oh, Sam, this company's like an overnight success and I'm like, yeah 20 years, 13 failures, edge of bankruptcy twice feels like an overnight success to me <laughs>
1: It's always like that, you know. I just had an exit on—I just had an exit on a deal, and literally they were—they were a month away from defaulting on payroll, you know. And then a year later, they got a buyout, and it was just like a 11x, and it was—I was like, how in the hell did that happen? Like you could just—you know—you just, God, you just don't know. You know what I mean? It's like that Seth Godin thing—the dip. You know, one of the best books ever, right? You just, you just never know when you're, you're in that dip whether you should quit or you should just ride it out.
0: Well, and that is one of the things that is the most interesting place that I have found where a lot of entrepreneurs fail. Is so, you know, I, I was a trained ballroom dancer as a, as a younger man, and it took five years of ballroom dancing. I uh, did five years of hip hop. Actually was a was a dance instructor for the National Cheerleader Association. Always been big fan of dance. But like one of the things that you find is what makes dance good and what makes it seem beautiful is tension. Right? And is it is balance and is that edge of falling over and how you can sort of work through that. Right. And so this edge that so many businesses find themselves at where it's, it's actually seems like, you know, a point of failure and it actually ends up being their biggest point of inflection. That is one of the hardest things when you're in that moment to tell the difference uh, of, right. Is this a lost cause or is this the start of something huge? And that's honestly one of the big things that I've learned over the past um, you know couple of years. You know, now thirty-nine years old, executive at a Fortune five hundred company. You know, there's three people between me and Rupert Murdoch in the news corp order structure. You know, it's relatively high up in a twenty thousand person media company, largest media company in the world with one point eight billion subscribers. There's only seven billion people on planet Earth, right? And, you know, in the past year have had two additional exits, a total of 850 million exits, you know, in the past 12 months, you know, of which I participated in a small way in in two of those others because they were companies that I previously been involved in. Um,
1: and then that you were just involved in from a consulting for the other two,
0: you're saying, right? Like, so one of them, one of them, I was actually an employee that I, you know, early on, you know, led the uh, sales org there. The other one, we were a consulting uh, firm. You know, my, my consulting firm, PitchStack, which is one of my businesses. Um, we provide consulting services mainly to startups that are looking to scale, and uh, we've learned how to do that through providing the right sales resources for them to do that. And, you know, this company, MineralSoft, was uh, one that provided a technology for the oil and gas space. And uh, we helped them grow through to exit, you know, Spreadfast, this other company uh, that was acquired by Lithium, who was owned by Vista Equity Partners. You know, that was actually one of those, you know. But
1: on those two, did you own private stock in those companies? Like, is there private stock certificates that have your name on it in those companies?
0: In Spreadfast, yeah. In
1: Spreadfast. Well, not because they got
0: it was a wholesale buyout.
1: Right, but but you got so you got paid on that
0: one. Yeah, but you know, Pat, be totally honest with you. I've got drawers and drawers and drawers full of stock certificates that are really great for starting my next campfire.
1: Yeah, right. So, so, but, but, hey, as long as you got paid on it. So, all right. So let's, let's <laughs> <laughs> start us. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about uh let's talk about some nitty-gritty here so um going through like a uh, little one sheet items so what is your horizontal income currently
0: so my horizontal income is right at one hundred and twenty thousand. so
1: in so, a month and how do you, how's that coming like where's that coming from
0: so um i have you know uh, three main places of horizontal income so I have uh, residential real estate. And so with my residential real estate, I run a little bit of a different strategy than a traditional real estate investor. I run sort of a luxury Airbnb model. So I buy, ultra um, they're extremely well decorated. As a matter of fact, uh, one of my properties here in Austin was recently named, you know, one of Airbnb's top 50 large homes. And so you know, I can generally make two x in some cases three x what I would in traditional rent. So by um, having that strategy, I'm actually earning significantly more in horizontal income from residential real estate than a traditional uh, property owner. Though there's a lot more management expenses. In sure, that.
1: sure. Do you manage them, or do you pay somebody?
0: $20? No, I have full time employees that well, no, well, they're employees of mine. Uh, I didn't turn it over to a management company. I have a a handyman contractor, I have a, you know somebody that manages my guest interactions, I have full-time cleaning staff, I'm not afraid to have employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just easier than turning it over to like a, a management company. So there's that. That's uh, my primary source of horizontal income. Then, you know, my secondary source of horizontal income is, well, actually that's, this is really my primary source of horizontal income, is my consulting firm, Pitchstack. Now, I, it's sort of on the edge of vertical income and horizontal income. I don't actually work with any of our clients anymore, except on a very limited basis. Um, I generally stick with the Robert Kiyosaki definition of horizontal income as something that you spend less than one day a week working on. And I definitely spend less than one day a week working on that business.
1: What, what percentage of uh, that company do you own?
0: hundred percent.
1: Oh, that's your company. That's right.
0: And I have 15 consultants that I offer out to the technology landscape and, you know, nothing like having three exits to keep us pretty full of client work.
1: I see. And you're doing, uh, actually, you're working for David and Aaron right now on something, right?
0: Yeah. David and Aaron and I are working on a project with a a consulting or with a technology firm that they acquired here in the uh, Texas area and, you know, doing some learnings about that. as a matter of fact, meeting with those guys next week to talk about, you know, how that engagement is progressing and what we need to do next. And we generally, the, one of the things that I like about our model at Pitchstack is we generally work with companies on a retainer, commission, and equity basis. So, you know, I kind of strong rods out in the field with these different companies where when we do have these exits that happen, you know, we get a little uh, piece of that value that we provided, you know, in these spikes in, in income.
1: Yeah. And then, so how many, how many people, like how many clients do you work with on pit stack a year would you say?
0: Twenty two. That's what I've got right now.
1: Twenty two. Wow. And and so is uh, you know, I guess realtor.com, they, they they don't mind you doing, you know, having twenty two clients and you know, that sort of thing. Oh, they love it. They love it, okay. No.
0: <laughs> but the business predates me joining Off City. So you know, there are just certain things that they
1: It's kinda of like being a part time realtor. Can't
0: really yeah, I mean, it's, it's and, you know, I really have a, a full time team of really ex- excellent people that run that business. Um, and so, as long as, you know, it's additive and not detractive, it doesn't, it's a non issue, right? You know, it's it's kind of one of those things that a company gives you a lot more latitude when you make them millions of dollars. You know, my team um, that I manage here at OpCity, we oversee close to 70% of OpCity's revenue. So, they get, fairly spinning in value out of the work that I do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And part of the buyout on, uh, with that, right. Was, uh, it was, uh, golden handcuffs, right. You, I mean, you're there, you're locked in for a while there, right?
0: Yeah. So they do sort of this interesting thing when you are a shareholder, they, um, because your, your stock options vest over a period of time and they can't really take that vesting schedule away, but they can shuffle it around a little bit. Um, And so instead of going from a monthly vesting schedule, it went to a quarterly vesting schedule. So it keeps you uh, on the hook for a couple more months. Right. And then as that vesting schedule is trending down, they ramp up what they call a retention bonus. So, for instance, you know, in year four, you know, they pay me a hundred grand just to stay around. Right. As part of my retention bonus, because you know, and that's on top of my salary and commission and all the other bonuses and incentives that I get just to, you know, trade off the crossover. And that's ultimately how they keep employees locked in. And I am fully cognizant that, you know, as an employee of the business, you know, I have a certain role that I play within the organization, I wouldn't consider, you know, myself in an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial role, even though I I'm an entrepreneur within the business. And so, you know, my objective with the money that I make at OpCity, because I don't need it to live on, you know, I'm 100%er, you know, I can live off of my horizontal income. That was actually my goal to be able to retire at 40 if I wanted to.
1: Yeah, so your monthly bills are 10 grand is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's with me, you know, living not frugally, right? <laughs> right.
1: But, but, then, but then if I add in pitch stack, Like what, like your pitch stack income plus your, let's say pitch stack is horizontal. I mean, I guess it'd be debatable, but you know, you know, with 22 clients, uh, I imagine you've got to be involved with them uh, to some level, unless you're just like a, you know, but let's, I don't know, man. It's not just like a a realtor giving a referral fee to an agent in Massachusetts that lives in Texas, right? You're not like just flipping them to other consultants. No, Um, not at all. No, I'm I'm very, very much,
0: I'm very much involved you know, I'm just not involved to the same degree that the consultant is. So yeah,
1: I would say that's, let, let's call that vertical. So, so, what okay. you, so let's say, let's say what are your expenses? Like 20 grand, you know, normally not, not living frugally. Yep. All right. So you're a 50, you're a 50 percenter, let's say, Okay. but, but okay. So let's talk about, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk, uh, let's talk about health, age defying health. What, what do you weigh, Sam?
0: Uh, So right now I weigh uh, about 172, which is, you know, I'm actually bigger than I've been in a while. I was a boxer all through college. I was talking about being a dancer earlier. You know, I've always been a distance runner, but man, I have been really focused on this grind and getting all of these companies to leave the nest, especially Op City and the massive growth that we've had here. And, you know, went through divorce earlier uh, in 2018 so I've really been focused on my daughter and i uh, really been focused on growing these businesses and have honestly not been as focused on my health and fitness. And, you know, that is one of the things that I'm really working on in 2019 is reinvesting in a place that I get a lot of comfort and joy out of is, you know, Getting that sweat on and, and getting that physical exertion to just feel centered.
1: I mean, what what did you weigh two years ago?
0: About one sixty five.
1: And you're one seventy two, you said.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, that ain't, I mean, whatever. I mean, seven pounds, right? So, so what? What? So, what is your exercise routine now?
0: Yeah, so I do intermittent fasting, which um, is uh, helps on the diet front. Tr- truthfully, Pat, one of the big things is that. Uh, Two years ago, I gave up alcohol entirely, and that has been, you know, massive on the weight management thing. I mean, you know.
1: I imagine. How hard was that?
0: <laughs> well, I was a fairly, fairly, uh, what, what they call the, what are the British term for it, convivial fellow. I mean, I could put it away. So, you know, look, you, a bottle of wine, you know, that's a thousand calories, Right. And that would, that would be, would have been easy for me to do. So it was one of those things where in the and uh, really kind of like, you know, starting this big journey that I was going on with off city and, you know, really wanted to be present for my daughter. I kind of was like, well, I need to, I need to really look at what I've got room in my life for. And there has been a real diet in some respects of my time that I've had to look at. And, you know, Less, less traveling for fun. Less going and partying with the with the guys on the weekend. Um, you know, still find time to do those things, but you know, I just chose to lean into this sort of hustle that I knew that I was going to need to be on for a couple of years, and you know, I wanted to be clear headed and focused for that.
1: I imagine, uh, you know, uh, another guy I know that that's been, you know, that quit drinking about you know, eight years ago said to me that it, you know, every year gets easier because you're able to, you're able to say, Hey, it's been two, I haven't had a drink in two years where in the beginning, it's pretty excruciating because you could still go back. You know, I mean, like, like for me, like, you know, I think I'm like, you know, that's a, that's a great way to, to lose weight. And, and, you know, that would be kind of really good for my health. But then all of a sudden you're hit with these social situations or you're getting stressed out and, and you're just like, oh, what, what the hell, you know? And so that had to be hard, or maybe it's just me.
0: You know what, what I honestly found is, you know, honestly, I think more people, like I get invited to less parties, and I think it's because people don't want to have somebody that doesn't drink around. But my brother is Mormon, and doesn't drink, and never has, and I had... Uh, my daughter's birthday at my house in Austin. And, you know, for him, it's never been part of his world. And so even though this is kind of like this neighborhood backyard barbecue, and we had beers and mimosas, and, you know, people were having fun, and I wasn't drinking, you know, I looked at the way that he operated, and it just wasn't even an issue with him. It didn't even matter to him. And so it didn't matter to other people. And so the more that I've sort of adopted that, like, I don't want to say I was self-righteous or anything like that before, but you kind of have to have your your guard up a little bit when you are quitting to kind of make sure that you like stick with it. But now that I'm over that two-year hump, it's kind of like, eh, I'll go to a party, you know, I can hang around people getting absolutely fantastically lit. It doesn't even bother me because like, I'm still having a blast. And if I don't want to be there, I won't be there. <laughs>
1: and, then, and, and this it's interesting. So it was, were you raised Mormon? Uh-huh. You were raised Mormon. So not mm-hmm. just your brother's Mormon, like your whole family's Mormon.
0: Well, I mean, so my, my parents are and my brother are, is and my sister is, but the rest of my family is not.
1: Okay. So they chose not to be Mormon. Yeah. Okay. Because with Mormonism, you're, you're either in or out, right? Like you can't. Like, yeah, it's 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 kind of like
0: yeah in it's the kinda book like the, in right. the book right. right. it's kind of like being in the military. You're you're either sleeping in the barracks or you're not. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a it's Act it's, it's, it's time, a you know? it's a beautiful culture, and I take a lot of the things and a lot of the values that I think made me successful, and give a lot of credit to that culture. But it, it is also a very culture. You know, there is a very specific way of operating within dynamic and I, I make no judgment right for me and what I wanted with my life.
1: So tell me about your divorce. I remember coming down there. What was it? Two or three years ago. I think you were separated at the time or maybe, maybe, maybe been married since then. What, what, um, tell me about your divorce and your daughter.
0: Yeah. So look, when I was a younger man, Pat, um, that 32 year old that just lost his business and was deciding what to do. I decided to start a modeling company because I wanted to meet models. (laughs) And so uh, that's where I met my ex. And look, we, um, after a couple months of dating, she got pregnant and we tried to make it work. And it was a little bit of a forced uh, situation rather than really something that we went into with uh, eyes wide open. But, you know, we have matured into a place where we can focus on being the best parents we possibly can to our daughter, and you know I think it has given me a lot more clarity on the right partner for me and what is actually
1: so you guys never got married right you were just you just stayed friends
0: no I mean we were we were, we were living together i mean we, even though we never actually uh, signed the paperwork, you know luckily, my smarter folks than I. I uh, said, you know, hey, hold off on that. You know, maybe, maybe you want to check this out for a little bit. See,
1: because you've been good. I remember visiting and, and you guys were like, really, didn't you live together for a while or something like that? Yeah, like, we lived together for three years. You lived together. No, but like, like three years ago or so, did you, or you had a, a really interesting relationship. I don't remember the details, but it was like, you live with her, but you, right? Like you live together and, and we're dating other people, right? Something like that.
0: Yeah, so we, she was pregnant. And, you know, for the first couple of years of our daughter's life, we lived together in an exclusive way. And then we split and went and lived in separate homes and dated each other and dated other people, which was really, you know, honestly, being totally frank, I was dating other people. I was dating other women. She was not. She was, you know, hoping to try and make things work. And then you know, finally, whenever uh, she decided to move on and found somebody else that she wanted to be in a relationship with, you know, we had to go through the that at that time all of the paperwork and actually, you know, whenever you have a child together and you've been kind of operating in this friendly way, and and there's this guy who was really didn't understand what the hell it was that we were doing, and he had just come from having his previous wife pass away, and had a more traditional perspective on what relationships look like, you know, it forced us to actually go through the process of, of essentially getting a divorce, right? Because even though we were never married, we had a child and we had assets and we had, you know, no custody agreement and we, we had to go through the full legal process and it was painful, right? Because, you know, that- Is
1: that what you, is that what your 2018 divorce, is that what, is that a, or is that a different marriage?
0: No, no, that was that was it. That was the one. That long, it took two years of everything winding its way through the courts because you know,
1: and you lived together too, right?
0: No, we weren't living together at that time.
1: Okay. Um, Are you still friends now? mm,
0: I wouldn't go that far.
1: (laughs) Really? So now there's tension.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, look, Pat. um, She, you know, when we very first got together. You know, the the scales were opposite. You know, I was an up-and-coming entrepreneur and she had a massive trust fund, but uh, rather than, you know, use her trust fund and invest it, she burned through it and, um, you know, I built my businesses and built my net worth and built my income.
1: So, she wasn't able to tap into any of that though, right? Right. So, she,
0: she, that was what caused so much static in going through the divorce process is because, you know, the law is very clear in the state of Texas that, you know, if you weren't married, you know, you pay child support and that's it. And child support is maxed out in the state of Texas. You know, I pay the maximum the law will allow, but you know, she wasn't getting any alimony or any, any chunk of my assets. And, you know, it took a lot of different judges and mediators and things like that to say to her, no, you're not getting any of this and her not liking that response
1: and then how's the custody broken up now
0: so daughters my daughter's with me essentially three days a week and with her four days a week
1: oh that worked out good too
0: yeah Yeah, i mean you know it's it's a little harder on me and and that's another thing where you know my social calendar is a little non-existent because you know between growing a high growth startup and having multiple other businesses you know, my free time is occupied.
1: Limited, yeah. Well, good for you, right? I mean, that's your good dad and, you know, you're a good entrepreneur, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, be happy to uh, miss the next 10 parties if I can say what yeah. I really care about.
1: Exactly, right? At the end of the day, right? You don't want to be known as the guy that always showed up for parties, you know, when you got, you know the guy that was a good dad. And you know what I mean? The guy that, you know, other, other things to be, to be talked about. Uh, so, okay, cool. So let's, uh, talk a little bit about your five greatest hits, Sam. If I had to go back in history and, um, you know, record a best hits album for Sam Monreal. And I say, you know, just like Johnny Cash has Johnny Cash's greatest hits. Right. And, uh, uh, if you have Sam Monreal's greatest hits and they're basically poignant moments in your life so far that uh, stick out in your memory is one of the, you know, best parts of your life. What would, what would your five greatest hits be?
0: Okay. So on business front, I would say, you know, the, the ride that we've had at Op City has just been huge. And, and, and Pat, I, it, it's not about the money. Like I never got into being an entrepreneur. I, I got into it originally for the money, but I, I'm, I'm into it now for the amount of value that I provide. And, like, you know, these 600 people that work with me now, and the 20,000 homeowners we put in a home last year, and the $5 billion in real estate that we sold, like, I look at that and I see significant value that I'm providing to society. And the uh, money that I make is a byproduct of that. And, and I'm really proud of the people here in my community who can raise their families and have a good community, uh, because of the work that I do. And I look at the, you know, we'll sell nearly 50,000 homes this year. And I look at the number of Americans that I've helped put in a home and I feel good about that work. And so it's not necessarily about the big exit or the big story. It's about, you know, having this packs you know, and, and trying to have as little ego about it as possible. <laughs> um, All right, so
1: that's, so that's one that, that let's just say the day that realtor.com settled on Op City and Sam Monreal got a seven figure payday. That is number one. What is number two?
0: I would say number two would be the, uh, so whenever my daughter was uh, very first born, and I was figuring out, I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I didn't know how to be a dad. No, nope. I mean, there's lots of books, but there's no real book. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so I just decided that I was going to run a thousand miles in, in a year with her, because she in a jogging stroller when she was a baby. And in fact, uh, Under Armour did a whole ad campaign about it, uh, about the two of us. Uh, running 1,000 miles, would be pushing her around the hike and bike trail. And so that to me was –
1: So wait a minute. Let me get this straight. So you ran 1,000 miles in a 12-month period, which is, well, a th- well, 1,000 miles in a 12-month. So it's, it's, it's not that much. Miles. It's four, four, four or five uh, miles up
0: uh, four yeah. or five times a week.
1: Yeah, so it's not too hard. So you did it, and then but you calculated, you counted it, you kept yourself accountable, and then so we'll say we'll say the date the date that your Fitbit went over a thousand miles. That was uh, that was number two. What's number three?
0: You know, I would definitely say that number three was for me was the birth of my daughter. It, now I, I was scared, I was terrified. I didn't, I, I honestly Pat, I thought that I was not up for it. I thought that I was gonna fail at that and you know it has taught me what I'm capable of as uh, as a as father as a man what growth really means and what priorities really look like you know I mean spring break with my daughter two of us you know hanging out with my sister in St. Augustine Florida traveling around just the two of us and we spend a lot of time just one-on-one just each other no buffer no other parent, no other kids and learn a lot about like uh, what you're willing to do in those situations.
1: That's awesome. I'll be in St. Augustine next month. I mean, I got a, I got a niece that, uh, that doesn't have a, uh, her, her dad's not in her life. So we could take a trip every year and she, she has me taking her to Kane Brown concert in St. Augustine. Florida. <laughs> nice.
0: That's awesome.
1: So, uh, okay, cool. So uh, what's number four?
0: Number four, um, another, another business one is you know when I very first got involved with rockerbox, one of the companies that I own and it's it's funny to call this as the greatest hit, but it sort of really helped me understand the power of horizontal income at in, in a big way is the first time my business partner called me and said, "You know Sam, you really haven't been involved in this business for." two years I'm writing you these big dividend checks every month something doesn't feel right about this and I said well that's part about growing a business you wanted to stay running it and it's mostly your business and you know I earn money for the work that I did up front to help you build it and I'm really excited that you have continued to grow it and he was like okay so you're not want to sell to me and I said no why would I want to sell to you I'm super excited about the business and super excited about its growth and I hope you continue to have more of it. But that first huge dividend check that was painful for him to write, that was really, you know, that, that he did and because he's honest and he understands the value that I provided, that really taught me the power of horizontal income. It,
1: yeah, and, that, and that's an, this is an interesting conversation. I want to keep talking about this. So what percentage do you own of that? 10%. Wow, and, and so it's funny. I mean, it's not that much, right, 10%. No, that's absolutely, I would have done the same thing, you know, especially if it's paying well. And, you know, so so that's interesting. I mean, anyways, yeah. We, we won't that that does. That. Good, it huh? is also a business that does over
0: $5 million in revenue a year, so it's, you know, it's a relatively strong business.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's crushing it, huh?
0: Yeah, he's doing really well. I mean, we got 90 employees there now.
1: 90 employees? Really? Yeah. Oh. I'll, I'll tell them uh, I'll just a call center, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, you know, when somebody said the the other day, like Sam, you're like that call center guy. Right. And I was like, I oh, will wear that with a badge of honor. Cause you know, again, at Box I got 90 people who are putting themselves through school you near know, we're across the street from Texas Santa and university. here at Off City. We got nearly 400 people in our call center, 200 people in our technology team, right? Like, you know, call it what you will call it a call center some people use that term dismissively but I look at it as a tightly run well oiled highly productive sales machine and if I'm known as the guy that can put those together I don't think I'll ever go hungry
1: what, what, what do you think the reality of this is, Sam? Because this is what I'm seeing out there. You know, you've got call centers like OpCity and, and, you know, now owned by Realtor.com. And of course, Zillow has their call center and, you know, Rockerbox. And all calling these leads for real estate agents. By the way, guys, if you're not real estate agency, they just call the leads for real estate agents. And then they give the real estate agents the leads essentially uh, for a portion of the commission, right? So right. at what point do these big companies just say you know what we're giving away 65-70% of a commission why don't we just open up a real estate company and pay the agent you know 30% and keep the other 70% rather than a 30-70 split go a 70-30 split you know what I mean why don't we why don't we do why don't we flip it and become a real estate company I mean how, how realistic is that do you think in the future
0: I don't think it's very realistic, and and here's why. Because you have a lot of companies that have tried to do that. Owners.com, Redfin, Movoto, tons of companies have said, well, we've got all the leads, and we've got all the infrastructure to turn them into referrals. All we just need is the agents to go out there and do that. But you look at Compass, you look at Redfin, you look at any of those companies that have tried to have the boots on the ground model, and – It's really hard. So interesting slide that I saw the other day, you know, Cobalt Banker, it took them 70 years to get to 10,000 agents. KW took them 18 years to get to 10,000 agents. Uh, EXP, it took them eight years to get to 10,000 agents. OpCity, it took me two and a half years to get to 60,000 agents. I would have never done that if I was trying to go out there and hire agents on my own, because we only have to fulfill a piece of the agent's, overall equation so i need the broker i need the broker to be my partner because i need them managing the boots on the ground and so so you
1: guys don't want yeah i understand so you you think it's just going to be too much of a hassle to be like i don't want to manage the boots on the ground i mean you really probably in the back room you guys would never admit it but you're probably snickering you're like the profit margin on on uh, you know a lot, a lot of uh, the profit margins suck so bad on brokerages that uh, why would we want to get into that? We know our space here and we know our profit margins.
0: No, I mean, I won't even, I won't even deny it. We make more money than the brokerage. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And that's why. All right. So what's your fifth grade to say? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. No, no, no. no. That's, that's fun, great. Um, yeah, fun stuff. Yeah.
0: No, it, it is fun stuff. You know, gosh, I'm not really sure what I would, you know what, I will. (laughs) Truth, true story, Pat, I chased a girl all the way to, uh, after college, all the way to Europe, was going to go spend my summer with her, and uh, by the time I got there, she'd taken up with some other guy, and, (laughs) honey, I'm home. (laughs) (laughs) She met me at the, get this, she met me at the, station to tell me, like, uh, hey, uh, you got to find somewhere else to go. <laughs> wow. I was so like, somebody here. And so. But she
1: obviously didn't think you were going to come.
0: Huh? Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. And, but, you know, it was one of those things where I kind of learn a little bit about your own grit and determination and your own passion for adventure. And so I spent the next three months Backpacking and hiking and riding trains and traveling around Europe and just, you know, on my own basically and meeting people and, you know, falling in love and seeing new places and falling in love with art. And that's really where I developed my great, deep, abiding passion for art. And, you know, now at this point in my life, I've collected one of the greatest modern art collections. And, you know, I you know, really gave me my love for travel. And I'd never even left the state of Texas until I was 18 years old. My family was too poor to travel.
1: Wow. So, so until I was on my, skies,
0: you know? yeah. And it's given me my love for, you know, really going out there and seeing the world and experiencing things firsthand and, and feeling them in my bones. So, you know, it's kind of interesting that so many of my greatest hits were really my biggest learning opportunities, but yeah. I would much rather focus on my life that taught me the most than, you know, things that should be on the cover of a book jacket.
1: That's funny. Yeah, no, I love it, man. Uh, the greatest, you turn lemon into lemonade and that becomes a greatest hit. So what about, um, what about future greatest hits, bro? What, what are a couple of future greatest hits <laughs> that you want to see? So when you die... Now you know you have a future great. You have a, your greatest hits. You have ten greatest hits instead of five. What do you want those other five to be, or a couple of those five? What would you want them to be?
0: Well, my my number one is you know I think it's Chris Rock has this joke about the difference between being healthy. Uh, uh, you, you went you went down. Rich is the kind of money that you can lose in a crazy weekend or a crazy summer in a cabin. Wealth is money that lasts for generations.
1: Well, where's the joke? Rich, Sorry, rich, Shagan? Say say, I don't – is that a joke or just a saying that he has?
0: Yeah. He, he, it, the, the joke is he says rich is something that you can – rich is the type of money that you can lose in a crazy summer in a cocaine habit. Oh. Wealth is the type of money for generations. I got it. Okay, cool. And so, um, you know, that's one of my big goals is to really create, like, true wealth, generational wealth and you know something that you know i'm not just leaving my daughter money right i want to leave her something sustainable something that she can grow and i think of it more like my legacy in terms of my financial well-being and more in the terms of an endowment and how does this last for hundreds of years and go from generation to generation and that's sort of one of the things that i think about now with my own personal um, business efforts you know. So you
1: want to be wealthy. So one, of you, so in your mind, right? You know, making these greatest hits like a day, right, or a time that this happened. Like you know what I mean. Like so, what is that? What is that to you? Fifty million, a hundred million, a billion.
0: What is it? I really don't know. Network. Yeah. You know, I I I used to think like, you know, twenty million net worth would be just crazy. But now, you know, I had two meetings today with guys that are billionaires, right? And you know, well, if they're not billionaires, they're five hundred millionaires, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. They're close enough, right?
0: They're close enough. You round it
1: up at half a billion right here.
0: Right. I mean, you know, the CEO (laughs) of C at that
1: point they don't know, yeah.
0: He's yeah, CEO of City. I mean, he's thirty-six years old. He has a five-story, eight-thousand-square-foot home in downtown Austin with an elevator, right? Like, you know, I mean, but the guy's humble, right? And 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 has taught me more about what it means to be a real leader than anybody I have ever worked with because he doesn't isn't is he is not focused on the money, right? He's focused on how much he can do. Right. And um, so my perspective on what is possible in my life has changed a lot. And so I, I, I kind of got rid of the idea of having a number in favor of like just continuing to maximize the value that I can provide and, and keep leveling up there.
1: long as you can't blow it in the summer with a bad cocaine habit. That's right. Then then at that point, you know. You're like, hey, if I snorted an eight ball every half a day for 90 days, that would be, you know. uh, (laughs) So, okay. Well, maybe maybe someday when you can't sleep,
0: Um, you'll figure out how much. So, you know, some of my greatest hits, and these have been on my one sheet year after year, my daughter getting married, me getting married again, you know you know, one of my other greatest is I want to go on a year long trip where I just travel around the world for a year straight, no work. And, you know, just me and my daughter and my family and, and really just, just really dig into places and really spend time there and not be rushed and not be, you know, always thinking about where else I need to be and really truly take a year off to do that. I think that would be a huge thing for me.
1: That's awesome. I love that one. That's a good one, right? Take a, take a year off and go somewhere with your daughter for a year or, you know what I mean? Like something like, I mean, that's yeah, you got it, buddy. Well, Sam, listen, boss, you got this shit figured out, man. I I really uh, appreciate you sharing like you have appreciate you coming on and, uh, you know, going through everything. It's it's, it's definitely been an amazing ride watching you do all this stuff. I remember you got on the GoBro committee, Well, it was only like 18 months ago and, uh, asked everybody, should I, should I take this endeavor at op city? I I think I actually even said, well, maybe not focus on what you got, you know, it shows how much I know. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, truth be told, we, you know, we can't choose them, pick them all. Right. But it's been, it's been cool watching and, uh, I know you're doing great things, uh, raising other companies up and uh, I know you're a good dad I see pictures on the internet and all that stuff so man so anyways boss I will uh, see you at the next GoBundance event and thanks for uh, your time today
0: awesome talk to you soon it was great and a pleasure as always Pat in life to be honest I've failed as much as I've succeeded but I love my wife I love my life and I wish you my kind of success.
1: Don't step to me, bitch Now you can create